Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for listening to Ask a Lawyer, a production of the Institute for Native Arts and Media. This half hour is sponsored by Oklahoma Indian Legal Services, serving Indian country in Oklahoma for 40 years. Thank you for joining us today. In the hot seat is Case Rodwell. How are you, Case? I'm doing good. How are you, Kelly? Great. I'm so glad to finally talk to you. I've I've had so many questions about a couple of things and I know you're the one to talk to so let's let's jump right into it because I know we've got a lot to cover okay so there's there's a phrase that's going around and of course you know when you work with government or or anything like that you there's there's these what I say dog whistle words that are supposed to mean a lot but end up being rendered moot one of them is active efforts. Here's why. Okay, so I've been doing some research about sportsmanship and OSSAA and all this these different things. And of course, going to ball games as Indians do during state tournament time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So they're talking about sportsmanship and how you know you got to be nice to the refs and you can't boo or whatever. So at one of the at one of the gyms, whenever the Indian crowd would boo, all of a sudden a PSA would come on about, you know, you got to be nice and sportsmanship, blah, blah, blah. And it just wasn't that way on the other side of the gym, right? So it wasn't really even. And so I started researching some of these different policies and this word is pervasive, active efforts. So what does that mean and what does it not mean? What is it supposed to, what is, what is an active what is what is an active effort at at its best good faith? What is that supposed to mean? So I I do obviously I do a lot of Indian Child Welfare Act. I'm the Indian Child Welfare Act attorney here at Oils. Um, so active efforts. There is not a definitive term to say this is what it is, but there is a definition that tells you what it's not. <laughs> And they do give an example of what is an active effort. Active effort isn't just another just another term we check off on a box. It's not saying, okay, we made that active effort, we move on. So in any Child Welfare Act, what we do when it's an active effort, it means that the state, the agency that removes children away from their families um, are obligated to provide active efforts to reunify that family. That's what that's what I think of when it comes to active efforts of what we're what that agency is doing to bridge that. Now there's active efforts, you know, elsewhere, but this is essentially what it is. It's not just it's more than just what reasonable. The state has um, a statute that says you have to provide reasonable efforts, but with ICWA, we have to do active. It's a lot more than that. So it's more than just giving a referral to say, hey, um, you need to get some, um, some counseling done. So you need to go find that, get it done, bring it back, let me know. No, active means you have to help them connect to that. You have to make referrals. If they're having travel issues, you got to provide that travel for them, bus pass, whatever you got to do, you have to actively work to make that family uh, try to reunify anything. It means active, it's thorough, it's timely. You don't get to sit on something for two to three months and be like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be helping them. No, that's what I mean. It's like, it's supposed to be timely. What can you do now? What are you actively working on? That means any hurdles that stand in their way, maybe families can't pay for it. Poverty is a major issue here in Oklahoma and it's a major issue in rural communities. So if they're not able to pay for something, that agency is supposed to be paying for it. What we see in Oklahoma is DHS. DHS is supposed to be paying for that. Any obstacles that stand in the way of having to reunify, 
they need to be actively working with families to do that. Does that get done? Sometimes. A lot of times, unfortunately, it's just kind of a term of art that people want to use and they move on from it without actually diving into what those active efforts are. We have some really good ICW workers across the state because I believe every tribe has their own ICW department and has their own ICW worker who's able to come to court and can say that, can say, um, no, state says active efforts are being followed, but actually um, we need more. It seems like parents need an extra additional service here or they need assistance again with travel because that's, that's a, a biggest issue is some people don't have a vehicle. Some people you know, don't, can't pay for their own local transit or whatever's going on. Um, they need assistance with that. So that's what active effort is. But it's a lot more than that. You're supposed to be actively helping them reunify. You're also supposed to actively be helping them find families um, that are within their tribe or within family members. That's where the placement preferences come in for, for ICWA is that they're supposed to be, there's a whole list of preference or priorities of who the child should be with. Media family, media family immediately. Um, if that's not available, then somebody with the Indian child's tribe and then after that, it's whatever tribal approved home, somebody the tribe approves and so on and so forth. So active efforts, yes, we're supposed to be actively trying to assist families, but you're supposed to also actively be looking for those placement preferences because a lot here in Oklahoma, we see that, you know, we, we don't immediately have that equal compliant home available. We don't immediately have any family members that show up and are able to take the to take the children. Um, we don't immediately have a tribal home that's available, but that could obviously change. Um, these cases aren't just a month or two along and they, they end. Sometimes they're a year long, two years long, three years long. So you can see where different homes would open up and what's going on. So that state agency, DHS, is obligated to continue to look for that placement preference um, and you know, so on and so forth. So when we say active efforts. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody that's actively trying to help, actively be taking a part of it, not just checking off a box on their form so the court's satisfied. Someone that is taking an active participation to make sure that these children get to go back home. That's what I think of when it's active efforts. Yeah, and and basically, I mean, you, you kind of hit it on the head from where I was coming from. It kind of seems like across the agencies, it's not just state agencies, it's it's across a lot of these different agencies, especially when we're talking about elder care, when we're talking about um Indian child welfare and these different these different things like that. Um it 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 seems like 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 you're talking about you're talking about the actual definition and it and a lot of times with a lot of these agencies it does seem like it's like oh I checked my box that's an active effort mm -hmm. kind of thing and you know I I want to talk too about some of these cases <clears throat> that are coming up about um these uh, about our preferences and about how Indian child welfare. Um, is set up for those immediate families and to prioritize um, uh, finding families that are native and and why that's so important and why that's coming under fire like it's some kind of exclusionary thing to to keep other families out I I think we need to talk about the importance of why we want to place native kids with native families yeah, absolutely. Um, and we're always under fire under that. 
ICOR is one of the most challenged things that's always brought in front of the Supreme Court for some reason. There's so many published and unpublished opinions across the country about what's going on. And it's constantly being attacked. And I hate to steal Steve's words, but I'm gonna, because I know when I first started with oils and I was first uh, under Steve, because he was my mentoring attorney, um, he always said ICWA was the canary in the coal mine. And I was like, why? <laughs> what does that even mean? Because I was like, I don't know what this is. And so he always talked about how ICWA is the canary in the coal mine because it's a way for non-natives to attack our tribal sovereignty. It's a way for them to take away and diminish our right to govern ourselves. And they do it to our most vulnerable population. They do it to our children because they know our children, you know, that's the reason that April was uh, enacted in the first place. They are the most vital, essential, and key ingredient to what's going to keep our culture and keep our people going. So they want to attack the most vulnerable group we have, which is our children. And they do it in such creative, to be nice, creative ways. Uh, but it's the constant, it's constantly being under attack. And that's what we have going on now. Right now we have Brackeen. Uh, going on in the, I believe the October term of this year, it's going to be held for the oral arguments on it. And there's been so many briefs, constant briefs, so many amicus briefs from different organizations that are in favor of, and a lot that are anti <laughs> what's going on. But one of the challenges to that is exactly what we're talking about, about, you know, finding any families is a challenge our placement preferences, not all of them, but just particularly the ones that talk about Indian child's family, the ones that talks about other Indian families. And they want to attack that by saying, well, this is race-based. And if it's race-based, then you can't have that because you know we have these laws in our constitution that say you can't do preferences on race. You don't get to make racist laws. But that's why we have ICWA. That's the reason we have, there's an entire Title 25 in the U.S. Federal Code about Indians. There's an entire title that talks about Indians, all about Indians, about who's an Indian, who's a tribe, uh, who's got criminal jurisdiction, what civil jurisdiction looks like, ICWA, the whole, the whole shebang. Like that's what that's the reason we have that. So if you're attacking us based on the fact that you know making laws for Indians is racist it would completely entirely undo a lot of things. It would entirely do and undermine Congress's um, obligation towards tribes. Um, and that's kind of what we're looking at. That's the reason a lot of people are like, no, you can't attack this. But on top of that, those that have practiced federal Indian law know that it's not race-based. There's an entire case called Morton v. McCarry that actually talks about this and picks this apart because somebody was challenging um, the Indian preference um, employment criteria for a BIA position. It was a non-native saying, well, hey, this, this is a completely racist. Um, <laughs> we don't support this. You know, it's a race-based law, what's going on here. But Martin B. McCarry really broke that apart and talked about what's going on here and said, you know, people can't identify racially as Indian, but that doesn't make them Indian. What makes them Indian under the federal definition is they are a member of a federally recognized tribe. And that classification is political in nature. It's talking about you are now a member of a whole separate sovereign that has their own governing laws that has pre-existed the United States. Um, and you're not 
Indian in a racial matter. You're Indian in the fact that you are a citizen of that nation. Um, and they talk about they talk about that Martin V. McCarty about why Indians are actually political classifications versus race based. And if things were race based, you know, it would completely, completely um, undo a lot of laws that govern Indians. It would be, you know, having these Indian laws is completely and rationally tied to Congress's trying to fill their obligation towards Indians. Um, and that's exactly what's going on here. And we already have that case law. We already have that precedent going on, but it gets brought before courts again in the Supreme Court because people are constantly wanting to undo it. And the only people who can undo it is the Supreme Court. So they try to find ways constantly to try to poke holes in ICWA and try to get that diminished and take away. And if they can take away ICWA that's supposed to protect tribes through its whole protect Indian children, they're gonna come, they're gonna come after us you know, in any sense, you know, they're going to try to take away the right to us have courts, rights to govern ourselves, rights that, you know, having our criminal jurisdiction and our civil jurisdiction, it completely the canary in the coal mine. We should be alerted when they're attacking our children. Um, you know, laws that were in place to protect them, we absolutely should be. So it's a major case coming on. It's a cause of major concern for a lot of us that are you know, hopeful and waiting. Um, but yeah, so that's exactly what they're doing is they're not really attacking placement preferences and saying this whole list is um, completely racist. They're attacking very key portions of placement preferences. They're attacking Indian child's tribe. They're attacking Indian, other Indian families. But under 25 USC 1903 is the whole definition for ICWA. And under that Indian means you have to be a member of a federally recognized tribe. Indian child is you're a member of a federally recognized tribe or you're eligible and at least one parent is enrolled. And the reason they have that as well, cause you're like, well, they're not enrolled. So how are they a political classification? It's because there's child, we get a lot of infants, unfortunately, um, in deprived cases. And we can't expect an infant to be like, why haven't you enrolled yourself? <laughs> why haven't you turned in your paperwork? Um, and that's why, it's, that's why Congress kind of took note of, well, when they're kids, they don't really have that say so, it's their parents' obligation to do that. So we're gonna, we're gonna take note that they are still, um, could be members of a federally recognized tribe. They are eligible for enrollment and one of their parents are enrolled. So that's what the definition is. Again, and it goes right back to Morton V. McCarty. We're not saying they're Indian based on race, we're not saying they have Indian blood. We're saying they are a member of a federally recognized tribe, a sovereign nation that way. And that's what makes it a political classification. That's what makes placement preferences political classifications because we're asking for, um, the, when we say Indian child's family, that's not even just saying Indians. We're not saying we're looking for the Indian side of the family. We just want that, that side of the family. So even non-native grandma of the child still is in the highest placement preference to get that child as a placement. We're looking for anybody in their immediate family, an aunt, an uncle. We did not say they had to be Indian and that's exactly as the statute reads. So to me on its face, I don't see why this is an issue being brought before the Supreme Court because it, it clearly says there's not anything that says you have to be Indian as a, as a race. This is a political classification for us, the practi practitioners. We're like, this is easy. This is an easy question. What's not easy is the conservative Supreme Court that we have <laughs> that could completely undo it or disagree. 
Um, and I think that's what makes a lot of us uneasy, makes me uneasy um, to wonder about all these new, new Trump appointees. Minus Gorsuch. Gorsuch has a. I was gonna say, <laughs> we love Neil Gorsuch. Like I never thought. I yeah. Like like. But but I do. I I like Justice Gorsuch. I don't think that. I think that he is the, the voice of reason, mm -hmm. on on that conservative side. And I think that I would think that his colleagues would listen to him. And like considering he's worked so close with with major decisions in in indian country yeah and so i i hope come on justice gorsuch indian country's counting on you <laughs> but but I, he he has historically been understanding i don't i don't know that he necessarily likes indians i think that he's he's judging everything on a fair basis with yeah. precedent with the precedent set and everything like he's supposed to do yeah and so I, I just hope that he continues on 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 that and just you know yeah. how it is this is this is what it is how he's judged everything else when it's come to yeah he's very it. we're very fortunate because he's been exposed to indian law and that's the problem with the i don't want to say i would say problem but maybe problem with a lot of the justices is they didn't have a whole background in indian law so when they see it right there in their petitions and their briefs, this is kind of, I don't want to say new, but kind of new um, to them to have to learn Indian law as they're going. And so when you have briefs like McGirt, where they, you know, the state was saying the sky is falling, everything's awful. If you do this, then half the state goes to the tribes and it's going to be chaos. You know, that that's something that they're reading and that might take them a shock and be like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is something we need to take. But Gorsuch, Gorsuch had a history of knowing Indian law. He's had a lot of tribal cases come across his desk. And so he had that background and understanding. And so that I'm with you. I'm hopeful that he can he can lay the groundwork of saying, hey, this isn't, the sky is not falling. It's not horrible. Like he did in McGirt, like this Indian law is not going to let everything go rampant and it's going to be the wild west out there <laughs> like we have laws put into place they have court systems and they have tribal codes so you know it's not going to be blood in the streets like the state wanted to argue and and say about McGirt. I, i'm hopeful and i believe that he, he can lay that foundation work of saying no we've had ICWA um since 1978 um, this has absolutely helped kids. And there's still a disproportionate amount of Indian children being removed. But this law has helped so many. Um, this law is keeping kids from having to be away from family because even if they can't be with parents, we are looking for their immediate family. We are looking for someone that's close to them. We are looking for someone that's not going to, we're not going to culture shock them by putting them in a whole family that does not look like them um, and does not, you know, because representation matters it absolutely matters i'd have been so lost as a kid if i got ripped out of my home and placed with non-natives i wouldn't have known what to do i was one that grew up in my little hometown of Tahlequah. um was always you know raised by my family went around i was at sequoia um and i didn't realize I didn't realize i guess how indian i was until i started being around other non-indians because i had went to um, you know, other extracurricular, I think it was uh, Oklahoma School of Science and Math, where we had other area students come together. And I remember one time sitting in class, and I was like, hey, it's raining, we got to go get our head wet. And my teacher was like, what did you say? And I was like, we have to go get our head wet. I was like, I'm Cherokee, when it starts raining, and it's the first rainfall, you go get your head wet. 
And so he was like, okay, you can go. <laughs> Let me get out of the class and go. And then when I come back, he was like, I want to have a discussion. Like, I didn't know that that was a thing. And like, just small things, just small little bitty things that we don't think about that makes us who, are, who we are as identity. I couldn't imagine like children not being able to be, you know, be around that, you know, it's just kind of who we are and how, how we identify and it matters in representation of being around people who look like us, you know, versus being thrown into a very non-native, a very white atmosphere and a very, you know, super church centric home, you know, I, I'd, it'd have been a complete culture shock for me. So that's why we have equal is to kind of protect our children that way. So they don't fall victim to that because, you know, there's a whole report about the issues of, you know, youth and their identity issues, you know, growing up. And especially what you're saying, going into schools where they're being bullied or, you know, constantly reminded, you know, like they're the res kid, you're getting banners of, you know, go back home on your trail of tears and different things. You know, there's an absolute huge issue with that. Um, and, you know, the the correlation between, you know, the identity issues versus our high youth suicide rates. I absolutely think that ICWA could be a portion of that, of helping us find Native homes, helping to look for the Indian child's you know, tribes, homes that they have that approved in their family. I absolutely believe in ICWA, absolutely do. And I think that it's needed. And that's kind of why it's dubbed the gold standard. Like this should be something that we're doing for all children. We should absolutely be actively looking for family members that can take them. We should actively be looking for somebody that's close in their community. Um, but I don't know. I don't know why they want to attack it so bad. I don't know why non-natives are so angry that we want to protect our children um, and keep them in our communities. I don't know, Kelly. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wonder that too, but you know, I, I think too, like just uh, with the Supreme Court too, if they, uh, if they start hacking away at ICWA, they're going to completely render McGirt that like that's going to be completely moot right because it's yeah. just because they'd be going against their own decision so i'm hoping uh, that's another thing that i'm i'm hopeful like hey man y'all already y'all already already started to set this precedent so don't go back on what y'all said <laughs> you know, kind of thing y'all already determined this don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> this decision's already been made <laughs> yeah we had uh, the baby girl case we know the baby veronica case back in oh goodness i couldn't give you a year <laughs> back in the early 2000s and the supreme court upheld ICWA. and so we had that president to say hey you all already decided this ICWA is valid it is upheld it's just in the iffiness of supreme court could undo but they if, you know if they wanted to i would be hopeful to say hey you guys have already within the last 20 years i still feel like the early 2000s are like you know, which is yesterday. Years ago. <laughs> you know? So I guess within the last 20 years and you know, all the good things that comes with that. But uh, again, I don't know. I, these new justices are to me are a toss up. Some people are, you know, study this and know this and know exactly how they're going to render a ruling before we even get there. I still don't know. I'm still unsure about these justices. Again, Gorsuch holds a place in my heart. So I'm hopeful <laughs> with him. But it's it's scary. It's scary to think because I agree. Because once they start unraveling ICWA, they're gonna unravel other things. Because if if ICWA is race based, they're gonna say, well, the Major Crimes Act is race based because we talk about crimes against Indians. And if that's race based, then we take away VAWA. 
we take away violence against women because now we don't want these Indians having laws against us non-natives because it's race-based. And so they'll take away that. And so I, it will completely be a way to unravel things. And that's not good. Um, and that's, you know, it's essentially gonna render Congress's fulfillment to tribes. That guardian award relationship that, you know, is already set precedent. Well, what does that, what does that mean then? If Indians are race-based, does that mean Congress is no longer gonna acknowledge tribes, acknowledge that they exist. Could they just go through and disestablish us all and say, never mind, we're not gonna have tribes anymore, but you're just gonna be absorbed. I don't know. That's probably like the worst of the worst. <laughs> not, and so, you know, it just, it kind of comes down to, this is why you gotta vote. We gotta have people in power that are supporting us and understand us. Um, because I definitely have family and I have definitely grew up in households where we're like, why, why are we voting in these like national elections? Like, it does not matter. I'm just one, I'm just one Indian out in the middle of nowhere. They're not going to care, but it matters. It's, it's Congress that's passing these laws. It's Congress that are, you know, pushing people into power. It's people that we vote for that's putting people in the Supreme Court. So it matters. It matters. We need people in power that understand us, that understand Indian law. Um, so shout out to Gorsuch. Appreciate you. <laughs> yes, indeed. Hold the fort, sir. Hold the fort. But, but let's 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 go ahead and and kind of circle back around to that. Um, I guess that political designation that people don't really understand. People understand a lot about Indians. I mean, forget about the law. Forget about Indian law, which a lot of Indians don't even understand. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean. Let's let's talk about just how little people really understand what it is to be an Indian, how like all of these different myths that have been able to kind of be created around being an Indian, like kind of like the um, like, OK, so we're talking about voting like people running for political office, like a lot of times they don't if, if they come and knock on my door like they're asking if the owner of the house like are, are you the housekeeper can we you know it's yeah. like uh, this is my home and i vote like i'll hear <laughs> your spiel but you know typically they don't talk to natives because natives don't vote natives don't you know and until like in arizona when they swung the election this year and now all of a sudden, all of these Republican states are passing laws. Why? To make it harder for Indians to vote. Yeah, that's absolutely what's going on. That's the reason it was a South, South Dakota, I hope it, not North Dakota. I think it was South Dakota, right? That them tribes were throwing a fit about it because they wouldn't let them uh, list their PO boxes. They had to have real addresses. And I was like, physical addresses. I'm like, they live on streets that don't even have names. Like, how are you doing that? How is that not okay? And so I was like, they absolutely make laws to try to get hurdles, especially after the uh, last national election. They're like, wait a minute, there's way too many brown people at the polls. <laughs> we gotta find ways we can limit this. Um, and so they go around, because again, you can't make laws that are race-based. So they can't say, well, we're not gonna let these Indians over here on this reservation <laughs> or a vote. So we have to be creative and think of hurdles. So then we're gonna say, you can't have a PO box as an address. You have to have a physical address. And that kind of circumvents a process of we don't have to name names of who we don't want to vote, but that is clearly a distinct population. It's clearly these tribal members that live over here. So they're not unable to vote. 
it is ridiculous. And I believe the Navajos went through a lot of that. Um, I can't think of their specific issue off the top of my hand. I think it was like a travel issue, how they lived. Yeah, like- it was it was polling places. And, right. it's, and they're doing it in poor Black neighborhoods in Georgia. They're doing it in Texas all over the place. Um, Texas, you know, all of these laws, it's, I mean, Texas is usually pretty draconian and pretty extreme. And what they've done is their mail-in ballot system, people who have, who have mailed in ballots for decades are now all of a sudden getting their ballots kicked back. But here's the thing, their law says that, that, you know, they can decide who gets in and who doesn't. So if they're seeing, oh, well, we're getting a lot of democratic ballots, oh, we can toss those for X, Y, and Z. And they make it a lot easier to toss and harder to get your actual ballot. And then when you get your actual ballot, it's a huge cluster shag because there's so many steps that you got to take. And by the time you get that back, if you don't have time to kick it back, Oh, well, there goes your vote. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then so I, I agree. I tried as much as I can because yeah, there was a while they were talking about how you had to have a real ID in order to vote. And so that was going to exclude anybody that uses their tribal card. So I purposefully always when I go vote, take my tribal card and use it because I'm like, I'm going to raise a huge stink right now. <laughs> if They're like, we don't accept these, even though I have my ID on me. I'm going to use my travel card because I don't want them to give somebody else a hard time. I don't want, you know, somebody that's had to travel an hour to the polling place and then all they have is their travel card and gets kicked back. So I've always used mine. I haven't had any kickback. I've had some looks <laughs> from the people working where they're like, hmm, I voted once in Oklahoma City and they're like, this is the second one of these that we've seen today. And I was like an ID to come vote. How many people have you had? And they're like, no, just just tribal. Hmm. Theirs was Choctaw though. And I'm like, I don't know if you're supposed to be giving people's information out at a polling place, but okay. Like, <laughs> and so I always use mine and I agree. Some places are really good about it. Like I said, I, I don't doubt at all that people are trying to do anything that they can to try to not give votes, which is supposed to be one of our inherent rights <laughs> to vote i agree so uh, i don't know kelly that's the reason why you see a lot of like native campaigns about voting is ran by natives like you don't see a whole lot of either party republicans or democrats you don't see them coming out and being like we need you know your support i don't see them coming down to anadarko to raise a big thing or trying to get indians to vote i don't see them coming up here to tahlequah to be like we need more tribal members that what can we do a lot of native vote campaigns are ran by natives um and it shouldn't be that way we should all be trying to get everyone to vote because again these are the people making laws over us they're the ones who's making decisions over us they're the ones sitting in the supreme court <laughs> like gonna make major decisions over our children so yeah, I, I wish we could do more. I'm going to always try to support as well. And I grew up in a family that's like that as well, where we're, my family's very skittish. They probably don't like me saying that, but they are. When it comes to anything outside of the community, when it comes to anything outside of having to do anything non-native wise, they won't do it. Like here I am, I work for oils and I'm like, you got to come to one of our wheel clinics. And they're like, hmm and talk to all those lawyers and things. And I'm like, I'm a lawyer. They're like, you can talk to me. And they're like, mm, I don't know. Y'all need paperwork for me. I don't know. So I, I completely understand that background. I completely understand the hesitancy 
that a lot of our natives have. But honestly, like if they have any questions, like contact us, contact oils. We can't, we're not gonna tell you who to vote for, but we can tell you and give you assistance on how to get registered to vote. We can absolutely connect you to things. You know, make sure that everything is in place. If you have questions, concerns, like let us know. Um, I, I don't know what it's to say because I'm going to always tell well, you you need to vote. <laughs> well, and not only that, though, on a national level, I mean, that does affect us as Indians more than anybody else's are these congressional representatives. But just think about in your daily life, the mayor, your city council people, your county commissioners, those are the folks that set your local tax rates. Those are the folks who decide how much funding the library gets. Those are the people who decide what streets are going to get fixed. And so that's the that once they start hearing this this Indian constituency that they have, I mean, when have natives ever been afraid to really get loud when we're in a large group? Never. <laughs> if, if if there's five Indians, if there's five Indians, five Indians can get pretty rowdy. I'm just saying. <laughs> so one Indian, this damn Indian can get pretty rowdy. So I'm saying if there were five more, if I could just get five more. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And you don't even have to go to the polls. You can get absentees if you want and get it completely mailed to you and vote from your home, the comfort of your own home. Do it while you're in bed, while you're in the bathroom. I don't care as long as you're <laughs> voting and you're dropping it in the mail because it absolutely matters. You you outlined it completely right. These are people making decisions just around us. And the fact that we are Indian, yeah, on a federal basis, they're making laws about us. Like specifically, you might feel like you're just one person out in the middle of rural Oklahoma, but they're making laws about you specifically because Indians are always a problem when it comes to federal Indian, government. Aren't we though? <laughs> but we swing, we swing elections and, and we need to keep that in mind. And we need to remember that is that Indians are making a difference and Indians are swinging these elections and it's very exciting. So we need more. And uh, yeah, if you need help with that, there are places that you can go. And we'll actually talk about more uh, getting registered to vote since, it's, since it is an election year for the midterms. And we're gonna make sure that we keep that on the, on the front of everybody's minds. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Ask a Lawyer. For more information about Oklahoma Indian Legal Services or to donate to help underwrite this program, you can visit the OILS website at oilsonline.org. Case Rodwell, thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us about and answering my questions about these things because it is important that we as Indians understand what this stuff means and, and more importantly, understand, understand what our rights are. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Kelly. I always have fun talking to you. So thank you for having me. Thanks, everyone. This has been a production of the Institute for Native Arts and Media. We're Indigenous, we're independent, and we are nonprofit media. Have a great day.